Welcome to The Interview, where we share inspiring career stories and advice from experts and thought leaders on any and all topics, everything from college admissions tips to the latest medical and self-care advice. I'm host Leslie Heaney, and I'm excited to share these compelling stories with you. I hope you'll learn something new and hopefully share a few laughs along the way. On today's episode, we're talking with celebrated literary agent and one of my favorite people, Elizabeth Weed. Elizabeth is going to give us a glimpse into the world of book publishing from discussing her own journey working for a publishing house to launching her own agency to teaming up with other women in the industry to create the incredibly successful agency, The Book Group. The Book Group was formed in 2015, and since then it's been a real juggernaut in the publishing world. Elizabeth's and The Book Group's clients include award-winning novelists and illustrators, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, and dozens of New York Times bestsellers. Elizabeth is fascinating, has the best sense of humor, and knows what it takes to make a successful book. And now with that, here's Elizabeth Weed. I was laughing with my, with my last guest that, um, do you remember the SNL skit where the two ladies were doing the nature talk and yeah. then they would go up and do, and are we, that's how I feel right now, <laughs> or like sweaty balls. I was going to say it's the sweaty balls interview, um, but, um, I'm trying not to talk like that. I know, I know. And I, I'm, and as you mentioned, you have a bit of a head cold, but I like this, this decibel level for your voice. I it's do very Demi Moore. It's, it's got a little scratch to it. I found, I sound sort of. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, you do. And I know you do, which I'm very excited um, about talking to you about all the different things that you know. But I want to take it back to the beginning, um, your beginning. Where did you grow up? What is the origin of Elizabeth Weed? Yes, good question. Um, I am. I was born and raised in New York City, where we are right now. Uh, and I think I've always had a love of reading. I think there was always a book in my hand. Um, I would grab anything from, you know, Portnoy's complaint from my parents' shelf because I heard there were dirty parts to it. To, you that. know, uh, I was more um, Judy Bloom's Forever on well, that. I was, but I, yes, yes. <laughs> so I was going to say Judy Bloom. Uh, you know, I was a child of the 80s. So Judy Bloom, V.C. Andrews. I, you know, I have parents say to me, oh, my kid is reading all this junk. Like, I don't think it matters what they read. As long as they're reading, they will love books and they'll come to the better stuff as they get older. And I am a testament to that because I can read high and low and kind of love a long, like a large swath of different genres um, because I just read so much. Re- so much. So you, I remember, I know you went to Brearley here in the city. Yep. And I went then- to Brearley and then I went, uh, I think my mother was like, uh, you are 80 pounds and you're wearing uh, some tiny little dress and trying to go out in Manhattan. So yeah. I'm sending you to boarding school, which she did. Um, and so I went to Choate for four years. And then I went to Kenyon College in Ohio, which has a really wonderful English department. I was really drawn to that. They have the Kenyon, Kenyon Review where I interned. Uh, they have a terrific uh, creative writing course, several of them actually. And I... Um, I think that's actually where sort of my desire to sort of move from be, what I thought I wanted to do, which was be a writer, uh, to going on to the editorial agent side. I was um, accepted into a creative writing course. It was like one of 10 people. Um, and uh, most of them, most of us were seniors. There was this one guy who was a sophomore and he was the only one who could write. Uh, and he, uh, his name is John Green who you probably yeah. know of. <laughs> wow, stop it. Yes, and he, you know, we would workshop our stories all the time, and I thought, well, A, I can't write like him, but B, I like editing him, and I like thinking about this from this other side. So, so was the Kenyon Review like a, like a, a magazine? A, liter- a literary magazine, literary magazine. Yeah. yeah. This was separate, though. This was just a creative writing class um, that I did my senior year. But, um, you know, he was really, you could just tell, like he had it. Um, and the rest of us maybe could get there, but I really discovered my love of kind of editing and sort of thinking about how to position a book. What is this book? And that sort of led me to look at jobs um, in the publishing field. So when you were, and have you stayed in contact with him, by the way? Well, (laughs) it's actually very funny. I can out him now because this was outed in the New Yorker um, a couple of years ago. But, you know, again, it was mostly senior women in this class, some men. 
he was the sort of lone sophomore. And if you know him, like he's sort of dorky looking and like amazing. And he would just come in and just talk about how he couldn't get a date, how he, you know, just wanted a girlfriend. And, you know, it's says, is he now dating Giselle? I mean, are well, you about to do a reveal? Oh, really? Well, oh, did this, I just... yes, but this is even worse because <laughs> yeah. um, he wrote a short story one week. He came in with a short story and it was about two, kid, two teenagers having sex. At the end of the reading, the professor looked at him and said, John, you've never been late. <laughs> and we were like, don't do that to this poor guy. He's just trying so hard. And so we kind of all were like mother hens around him and we're trying to like be protective of him. And um, I ran into him several years later at BEA, which is a big book fair. Um, and he had this beautiful wife. And I said, I don't think you have the same problem anymore. Um, and we laughed about it. So oh it, was, gosh, it was really. So, that is yeah. so great. Yes. Um, and I just, um, if you might hear a little jingle that uh, Elizabeth has a beautiful gold bracelet on. I, oh, did it jingle? Well, the, the nice man who's helping us with our with our headphones and our... Oh, I can take those off. Sh- sweaty balls talk. No, no, don't take it off. It's It adds a little, it's like a... I, I'm, a ha- I'm a hand talker. I get yeah. teased by my <laughs> entire family every time. I, I'm a gesticulator. So there we go. Um, right back at you. Right back at you. So you, le- so you graduated from Kenyan. You decided, or you learned, I guess, while you were there that writing, writing perhaps wasn't going to be the thing that you were wanted to pursue, but editing, yes, was. And so, what did you? What was your next step? What was your start coming um, coming out of? Well, college? my next step was to apply to a bunch of jobs as a you know editorial assistant. Um, at the time, I think the starting salary was twenty thousand dollars, and I was trying to sort of figure out how to make that work. You know, with an apartment and yeah. having a life, and I couldn't figure that out. So I took a job. Um, it's kind of embarrassing, but I took a job at Bergdorf Goodman in their buying department. I was like, I like clothes, yeah. so yeah. maybe that's what I'll do. Uh, and I was, I mean, I my did you brother, get a discount? My, I did get a discount, yeah. so that was great. Just, but I was so miserable. I had a boss who. Um, my brother jokes that I could have written like Devil Wears Prada because he had me like <laughs> chained to my desk in case, you know, some, some, you know, designer called, um, you know, no half day Fridays in the summer, all of that. And, you know, it, it was one of those things that I knew early on that I didn't like. And I remember actually I was reading a novel under my Women's Wear Daily because nobody even read like the New York Times in this little group. They really read Women's Wear Daily. Right. And I was like, I'm, these are not my people, you know, and that's okay. They're great people. Mm-hmm. They're just not my people. And so I, uh, I stayed there for a year because my father said, you can't quit your first job for a year. It looks bad. Even though I, I don't actually know if that is advice I would give my kids now, but, um, I stuck it out. And then uh, I actually didn't know what a literary agent did. I kind of only knew about the publishing side. I didn't understand that there were authors also had agents to help them, you know, on their career, help them sell the book, help them market it, you know, um, kind of like a actor's agent, if you will. And um, I met somebody who worked in that field and just started applying and got a job at Curtis Brown. Yeah. And that that was it. That was sort of my start. Um so you were at Curtis Brown, and then at what point did you decide that you? Because you went from there to going out on your own, right? Is that so? Not- I went not no. I had a sort of a few jumps along the way. Um, I ended up at a bigger agency called Trident. Okay. And um, you know, at certain point, because of the way the business works, I mean, as an agent, if I sell your book for a hundred thousand dollars, let's say, I get. A commission on that. I get t- agents take fifteen percent commission, and um, at a certain point, you're selling these books, and you're starting to see what you're bringing in. And if you're on a salary at a big agency, you're starting to think, "Wait, I could do more on right. my own. <laughs> this isn't fair. Like the math is not adding up." And of course, you know they're paying for your office and you know all of your, you know your expenses and that kind of thing. Um, but as when I was an assistant at Curtis Brown, I had become really close uh, with some other assistants, and we would go out for drinks and you know talk about our terrible bosses and you know our problems and this that and the other. Would say, you know, one day we should go into business together, um, and it was very much sort of that pipe dream. Um, but then we kind of continued on our own. Um, some agents went out on their own, and I, I did. I had Weed Literary for I remember that four yeah. years. I mean, out of our tiny apartment in the city. Um, but 
it was successful enough that I was really building a name for myself. And as were these three friends of mine, uh, Julie Bear, Brittany Bloom, and Faye Bender. And we just decided. Uh, now, were they also out on their own at that point? Or were they still? Uh, Julie and Faye had gone out on their own. And we had, and Brittany was at a uh, a bigger agency set uh, set in Boston and based in Boston, and um, we had all been approached by bigger agencies. But having been at a big agency, I just, I, I just in my like in my soul, I didn't want to be at a big corporate company. Um, I feel like the nature of agenting is so personal; it's so one on one. I feel like it's that relationship you have with that author and that editor. Um, I didn't see the benefit of being in a big corporation, for, you know, to do those things. Um, and I think we sort of all had that same ethos. Um, and we very, we were nervous about joining forces because we were four friends. Yeah. So we, ten years ago, we moved in together before we got married. We got, got office <laughs> oh. space together. We're like, how's this going to work? Way, that's brilliant. Yes. What yes. a that is because sometimes it's the even if you share. It's sort of like we have very close friends um, that we adore, but we know we're not vacation compatible with them because they are, you know, whatever it is, they're not going to be ready for the reservation. Maybe their kids, you know, are screaming at the table. And now we know this. Great (laughs) friends, but we're not, you know, vacation compatible. Right. You getting that kind of test drive is brilliant. Absolutely. Because we could have moved in together and right. thought, or gotten married and thought, oh, wait, we actually don't have the same values about how to run a company. And it's four women running a company uh, with equal say. Um, I will tell you here, it's, you know, besides marrying Matt and having my children, yeah. it's the best decision I ever made. I mean, it's been great. And we're, um, I mean, it's officially, it's officially eight years in June um, after we did our little two year right. sort of living together. And I feel like I, I learn something every day. I feel like we build our agency. We've just hired another agent. Um, we're continuing to grow. We've had a lot of success um, in the marketplace. And, you know, I'm excited to do it for the next 10 years. Do you think that that, so when you all came together, um, you obviously knew these women very well. Were they, was there a sort of a, a common um, goal or ethos that the four of you had about how you wanted to approach running an agency, you mentioned sort of the personal touch of not wanting to be at a bigger agency, or was there a certain genre of books that you were looking to, um, or certain voices you were looking for? Was there any common theme there, or was it just... Absolutely, and I think it is the author care is first and foremost. I mean, we take a lot of time, um, you know, developing, we do a lot of editing on our books before we go out with them, Um, and, you know, we don't take on just anything you know we have there is a certain type of not type of book because we do a lot of different genres but a quality I think that we look for in our um in our authors um you know and I would say just going back to the large corporations it, I, I do think at some of those places then you know so-and-so's uncle has a book can you sort of take it on kind of thing like yeah. we can really choose what we want to do and we're really protective of um having that freedom to do that. And I would think, I mean, I'm not an author, but I, I play one on TV or I'd love to be one one day. I mean, you, I would think it'd be so appealing for an author to know that they're having that level of care and that really um, astute eye. You know, you're looking at all the other, the authors that you represent and how you all have approached your business. It would be so, it's so attractive, right? I, you know. I hope so. Yeah, I, hope so. I mean that's the goal, and I and I I think just to add to that, it's also the collaboration. Um, when I'm negotiating a new deal, I mean they are my three partners are all part of that conversation. Or a cover letter that is going out with a new novel, I pass it by Brittany, who is the queen of cover letters, to okay. just give it a once over. Or you know, if I'm out having lunch with an editor they'll say, oh, will you tell her about this book? So there really is kind of that brain trust. Um, so it's not just each of us individually, but... Um, You're all bringing your superpower I think so, table. and we all have different superpowers, and, yeah. that's, sort of, and that's sort of fun. That's um, great. Yes. So, are, so tell me, I mean, the, the process. So obviously you had authors that were already, you were already working with when you were at 
bigger firms and you went out on your own. And then do authors just find you now? Of course, you guys are so established. But in the beginning, were you finding people were finding you through word of mouth or were you I guess when people write a manuscript for their book, that's how it works, I guess. Yeah. Well, I want you to tell me how it works, actually. You know, but um, <laughs> that's it. but you know, are they, you know, they're do they send it sort of out to a broader group, or they're looking, and then you do you have to then kind of convince them that you're the right fit for them, or absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say just you know when you're starting out as an agent, um, because we have some junior agents in our agency, and we we love them because. Well, first of all, they bring a different energy, a different point of view um, to the business and a younger sensibility, yeah, yeah. which is helpful. Um, and, you know, when my computer breaks, they can fix it. Please. <laughs> I mean, they like to give me all t- a hard time, but that's OK. We, I, w- I offer them things in return. <laughs> I was on a Zoom uh, on Sunday afternoon with I'm almost 50. As you know, I was the youngest of the group. And the lady who had set it up. I mean, it was as it, if you had videotaped us about press this button. I mean, I we we need we need we the do. under yes you know thirty five set How to be in our work? lives. My Zoom's not at on. all. Yeah, yes, at all, all of times. those things. Um, but you know, for for them, they're, they're starting to get their own uh, submissions in. Uh, I would say a lot of them are going to uh, conferences where authors can meet them and have they'll do things like these pitch. Wars, I think they're called, where an author, could, it's like dating, but they sit oh, down wow. with an agent. Oh, like a shark tank. They sit down with an agent, and they have like 10 minutes to tell them about the book, and then the agent will say, yeah, I'd like to read that kind of thing. So it's just an opportunity wow, for authors okay. to get in front of agents. But I would say in today's day and age, um, with the World Wide Web, as, as us old fogies call it, I mean, authors really can find us, and I feel like it's pretty easy to, I mean, my advice to authors is always to look at the back of a you know, the acknowledgement pages of a book that they've read, that they love, that they think their book is similar to, find out who that agent is and reach out to them. Um, I just think there's so many resources online. But to answer your second question, yes, they they would send a query letter. They can send it to as many agents as they want. Uh, and I mean, I think the biggest misunderstanding is that, oh, I'll never find an agent, but agents really are looking for right. stuff. I mean, I still read my slush pile, which is what I call my I have a separate file for a separate email of where my uh, queries go. But I'll look at it at night or if I'm waiting for the train and just go through and I'll request things. I mean, I I think now it's rare that I take on something new, but I'm still always looking. I want to I want to discover that dis- next. Yes, absolutely. John Green. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So with, with that, though, so you have people send, I mean, how many, you must be like the admissions office at Harvard. I mean, how many, how many, I mean, how many people? We don't respond to all, we have, we have something, we, we have something on our website that says we can't respond to all of, the, you know, if it will be read and if we like it, we'll respond to it kind of thing. But, but what, for people that are looking that don't, aren't represented and they want to, is it, is it the catchy note in the subject line or what's the, how do they stand out in the, in your slush pile? I mean, it's so subjective, right? Fiction is so subjective. I I do mostly fiction, but I would say a really well-crafted pitch letter reads a lot like jacket copy on a novel. Um, So I'm looking at plot. I'm looking at uh, their bio. Have have they been published in um, various reviews? Have, you know, I I don't really care about an MFA. I think, of course, that shows that they... um, you know, have taken their craft seriously, but I think, yeah, I think for me, uh, it really is story first and story and paired with good writing uh, and something that I haven't heard before, something that feels fresh. And I'll, I, I can't tell you how many books I get that sound really similar to yeah. something that's already out there, and that's just hard to do. Um, so, are you? I mean, how do you then? And I guess it's it could be in your slush pile, but. Um, are you looking to how do you find sort of new authors and new new voices or at this point they're they're finding you at this point they're they're finding me and it'll come through referrals from other authors or sometimes from editors oh that's say. interesting so that'll happen um i mean i i just signed a woman recently who i met through Whitney Chatterjee who you know yeah yeah, yeah she was a mom she's a mom friend of hers from school and she'd written one book um unagented and I just fell in love with it and we're now working together so it can really come you know it really can come 
from anywhere. Um, that doesn't usually work. Usually when a friend says, yeah. oh, my friend wrote a oh, book. Oh, I mean, please. Right. I, I have, yeah, I can, um, I, I started this, well, I'm not going to get a sidebar, but people send me their ideas for, for, for screenplays or ideas for TV series um, for a, a sort of separate life of mine. And um, it's hilarious. It's like, I've got a friend who's mom. I mean, it's really, I, I yes. can't even, I'm not even, you know, I mean, I, I am no. sort of a side. Um, so what do you do with that? Because I, I was just talking to my colleague. We were both lamenting the fact that, you know, we've had some people come and say, oh, could you just, you know, it's usually my mother saying, oh, yeah. Can yeah. you read? And I, I said, well, you read it first and tell me what you think. That's been my way to buffer it a little bit, just because I only have so much time in the day. Uh, what about your a, junior agents? Could it be like when I looked at a law firm, when I looked at a law firm, when I when I was a yeah. lawyer, the associates, we do all the stuff that the partners don't want to do. Maybe they can do like a 100%. quick read and give you a summary. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And we do have that implemented. Um, it's just hard if sometimes somebody wants to talk to you kind of thing. Yes, and you've got the, 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 cl- the cliff notes are not as detailed. But what did you think of that one part when she gets off the train? It might, <laughs> that might be, might be a tough one to um, respond right. to. Um, how, do, how would I, it's interesting asking me back the question. I think it's, you know, it's terrific. We're not, we're not focused on that genre right now or we have a right. lot of, you oh, know, sorry. sorry. Um, but how do you, for people that you've, um, do you have any circumstances where you're representing authors? How do you, once you have an author that's working with you, do they come to you when they're thinking about writing their next book and kind of tell you, or how, do, how does that work? How does the relationship continue beyond the one book? The one book, yeah. I mean, that's the best kind of author. And I would say most of my authors are on their second, third, fourth, fifth book. Um, and that, to me, is the best part of my job is when an author who's been working and building an audience hits the New York Times list, say, on their third book or gets a Jenna pick or something like that, you know, some kind of thing that really makes them feel like, you know, I always want to be an added value. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I can, it's not just about selling the first book, it's about talking about the career. And one of the first questions I ask authors when I'm thinking about signing them and they're thinking about signing with me is, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? You know, what is what is the career that you look at and say, I want that? Because um, that's really telling to me. Um, is it is it more of a, like a prize worthy kind of thing? Right, or right. do I want to, you know, is it more of a Colleen Hoover? I want to sell billions of copies. And, you know, it could be both. <laughs> and obviously you can't make all of those come true, but it, it's just helpful to know what the goal is and then to try and help get them there. I love that. I mean, Jenna's picks. She's been doing. I mean, she's amazing. She's the new Oprah's. She's Oprah's. Amazing. You know, and she's um, picked a number of our yeah. books. And what I, I mean, they're all great. All the book clubs are great. But I just think she does such a good job of picking a little bit outside of the box um, and you know, sort of the obvious book. Um, yeah. And bringing different voices. Uh, I agree. To her readership, which I appreciate. Um, I agree with that. Um, so you have some. I mean, you have tons of really, really successful authors, but you have some also that have turned their stories into hit, you know, hit series and movies, uh, Celeste Ng's Little Fires Everywhere, people I know have all heard of, of course, and Big Little Lies. Is it Leon Moriarty or Lion? It's, it's Leon. You Leon. actually did say it right. Like t- Leon the, t- what is it? Leon the Lion? Maybe. I, I had to Leon. remember that because I kept saying Leanne. Yeah, I didn't know if it was like tomato, Leon. tomato, but it's no, Leon. Leon, you got it right. Um, and that she's such a great story. She, I, Faye is her agent, and I love Leon. I've loved her books from day one, but that's an example of an author who was writing, you know, I think she had three books when um, The Husband's Secret, which was the book that came before Big Little Lies, came in, and the publisher and Faye both read it and said, this is, this is the breakout book. This is the book. And so they were, they kind of positioned it as the breakout book. It sold a lot of copies and then helped take her to that next stratosphere. And of course, you know, it was a Reese pick and oh, amazing. Then she was in the, in the, um, I mean, the, I think the series just took it to a whole nother level. So is that, what is that process look? So that's something where Faye, Faye just knew that that, did she know that that particular book would be something that would translate so well um, onto a screen? Or were, or were, I assume that, 
you know, you have people that are reaching out to you often looking for content. Absolutely. Right? Absol- absolutely. And, um, you know, these things do change and, um, you know, we're, we're constantly having film and television agents and producers and studios in our office and, um, you know, right now, right now they're like, we want the next succession. <laughs> we're like, okay, you know, and so there's a little bit of, you know, whatever's working, then they're like, we want that yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but we work with a number of, uh, agents that, um, you know, are willing to, you know, try different things. Uh, cause you never know. Uh, I think with that, that was, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I believe that really was, that came from right from Reese who read it and saw it and wanted to star in it yeah. and has her own production company yeah. and was really ma- able to make that work. But when that's interesting what you just said about, so agents are, com- are, are coming to you saying we want the next big, big succession. When you're looking at your slush pile, do you ever think, gosh, that's a really interesting story that would translate well. And maybe the writing isn't, you know, maybe it's not, you know, Elizabeth I, I level, do. but it, but it yep. could translate well in those genres. Does, do you ever, a hundred percent. I, I think I probably do that more. I don't, again, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I think that way. I, I think I'm often pitching in film terms. <laughs> I have a book yeah. that I'm getting ready to go out with and I, 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 I have some book comps to it, but I, my, my real comps are, Jason Bourne, um, female Jason Bourne yeah. meets, you know, I, I ha- it's like, I can't help it. Like, I think I love movies. I'm a TV addict, so I can't help think in those terms. Oh, and, yeah. And I just got something in that's, um, you know, everybody's talking about AI, but this is like a really fun kind of heist, feminist heist AI book. And it's not totally there yet, but I can see it. And so that's something I'm very excited about because I've spoken to the author and we've talked about how we can get the book sort of to the next level. Um, but that feels very cinematic to me. It's like a killing Eve, but set in the AI world. Oh, that's, I yeah. love, so that's really interesting too, what you just said to me about sort of the, so you're going to get, you're, you'll get the manuscript, right? Which would be a, a chapter or a section, remind me. And then you're going to get your, you know, you're going to have the, their kind of cover letter that goes with it, right? Which gives you a little flavor of what's inside. You can then go back to an author and say, I love, I love your plot. I like what you did here, but you need to. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't do that all the time. Um, but in that case, I thought there was something really worthwhile in the pages and I thought it's worth a phone conversation to see if she agrees with me. And so I sort of laid out my general thoughts about an edit and, it really resonated with her. So she's going to go back and I have the whole book. When you query, I don't know how other agencies work, but we, you send a query letter in the first 10 pages. And I read those 10 pages. I thought they were great. I requested the whole manuscript. I thought the rest of the book needed some shaping, um, set up a time to talk with her. And, you know, I, if, you know, she wants to think about it, but I think she's excited to, to do the work because it's a lot of work, but I think it's, work that will pay off. Um, well, I mean, she's relying on I mean, right. you, yeah, right? Yeah, she and said that. She's yeah. like, I really want this kind of feedback. And, I, and as she said, you get the what's at the core of the story. Um, and I don't want to change any of that. I just want to, I'm a real plot person. And yeah. I think the plot needs to really just be ramped up. Well, how many times have you read a, a book or watched a series where like, it's great. And then yeah. something just... It just off. goes off piece. And yes. you're like, how do we get here? How do we get see here? him dying? And I, I, I don't, you know, that doesn't right. work That's for right. me. Yeah. Um, being that he was the most attractive person and that, what, or whatever it, whatever is, it is, or just, it just right. doesn't seem, the plot doesn't seem to really, yes. um, uh, you know, work itself um, through in the way that you'd like it to. I also um, think it's really interesting, the, the editor piece. So would you... Does an editor work with you kind of at that juncture too, or will you have an author finish their manuscript, then it goes to an editor and they kind of fine tune the language or how does that process work? Um, agents, I think historically we're not doing a lot of editing. Um, that's changed at least since I've grown up in the business. Uh, I do one to two pass throughs, like kind of a macro edit and then sort of a micro edit, second edit. I, I don't think I have more than like three reads in me before I start to lose sight of things. Yeah. Um, so I do say to authors, you know, if I'm speaking at a conference or something, before you go out with that book, like 
give it to a beta reader, put it in a drawer and don't look at it for a month and then come back to it. Like just get it in the best place you think you can get it before it goes to the agent because they only have so many reads in them. And then, you know, and once that's ready to go, that's what I would go out to editors at different publishing houses and typically submit it to, you know, anywhere between 10 and 20 editors. And you hope, you know, you, <laughs> the goal is to get a, get, get the book to as many editors that you think might be right for the book. But the real goal is, it, it, the real goal in making all those changes and editing is you really don't, you want to have as few people turn it down because they think it needs work, right? Because right? Right. you want to give your author as many options. Um, so I, I don't see a downside to doing that extra work. I think it helps on the flip side because you just have more opportunity um, when editors make offers. Um, so they'll come back. So the publishing, let's say you send it out to 10 publishing houses and yeah. five get back, or we'll, maybe that's a high number, whatever number get back. And then they'll say to you, We're, we'd like to offer you this. We see this this author in this way. This is how we'd market it. Mm-hmm. This is who would do the book cover. This is who, is, is it that detailed? You go back to your author and kind of present the different. Absolutely. You um, uh, typically, hopefully it's, uh, you have a lot of interest and you set what's called a closing, and you ask for those offers to come in on a certain time. There are different ways you can sort of set the auction up. Um, but yes, they they present their best offer. Um, and it, it doesn't, I mean, it can vary. I mean, usually it's really focused on the sort of the financial right. piece of it. Um, the format of the book, is it hardcover? Is it trade? You know, when are they thinking of um, publishing it? You know, what season? And often they'll add some marketing, you know, bells and whistles. And um, often, I've also put them on a call or a Zoom with the editor, because um, I think it's really important for the author and the editor who are really going to work closely together to feel simpatico. So we'll do calls. And sometimes the editor will bring their marketing and publicity team in to, you know, if they're really excited about it, really want to woo an author, um, they'll bring more of their team. Uh, So it's a a number of different ways it can go. Um, but again, my job is to sort of, is to bring as many of those to the author as possible and then work with the author to make, you know, sometimes it's just obvious. It's like, well, that's obvious where we're going to go. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit more nuanced. Um, And then sometimes you probably have to negotiate with those publishing houses about everything's terrific except for this one thing or this other thing. Yes. And then what are you notice, what themes or um, subjects do you think are sort of selling well today? Um, That's a good question. Yeah. And I, I, I can besides, tell you. Because, besides self-help, which, right. I mean, you should see my nightstand. Is like, that what you're reading? I mean, it's like, um, uh, um, is it untangle? I mean, it's, you know, even though my oh. daughter's 17 and I still haven't un- untangled right. it. Is that the um, Lisa Damore? Yes. Oh, she's amazing. Um, uh, I yeah, like her I, it's, I'm all, I, there's this other book, God, who's the, who's the author? It's called a, a short guide to a long, happy life, which is, uh, which is about, you know, it's like everything from getting your bloods done to getting a colonoscopy. Oh, to wait, I fiber. need that book. I, it's that is great. Like marketed for every almost 50 year old. Well, how many, uh, there's just so much to sift through. I yeah. mean, I, there's just, I just right. want someone to tell me what you know, to do, what to do. I, I'm with so I have you. that. And then of course I have tons of, um, I've searched on my nightstand, one of your other Amazing. books, and um, oh, and then just a, I mean it's just a ton of. But anyway, so I'm, yes. I know self help is up there because particularly yes. in our age group. And um, actually, we have um, my colleague Brittany uh, sold this book called "The Body Keeps the Score" many years ago. It's a book on PTSD, and in COVID, it popped up to number one, and has stayed at number one ever since. So if that's telling you what people are needing right now. Um, It's fascinating. I, the the trend I am noticing is escapist. I think the news is so bad. Yeah. The world feels like it's going to hell. And I think what's really selling are like fun thrillers. I mean, the Emily Henry, I don't know if you know her, your daughter probably reads her. Yeah, I I do know her. Number one, she writes romantic comedies. They're light, they're fun. They sell like crazy. And I think it's escapist beach read kind of thing. Um, but I also think there's a play. I mean, I think, you know, we do, we spend a lot of time studying the New York times list. And I think 
Yeah, you know, at least on the fiction side of things, I think there are, um, it's kind of like book club fiction. It's like not too hard, not too esoteric, but it tells a really good story. You feel like you've learned something along the way. Um, You know, I, I like, I just finished uh, the David, it's not David, Demon Copperhead, which just won the Pulitzer by Barbara Kingsolver, which I loved. Um, That's been doing incredibly well, even before it it won the Pulitzer. Um, But I I do think there's a, there's a trend uh, toward the lighter stuff. Um, There's a publisher called Berkeley who um, is having just like this banner year the last two years. And I asked the publisher, I was like, why are you, you think you're having such a good year? And he said, well, we've always been publishing these light, fun books. And now everybody actually wants them. And I thought that was a very, do you think that's a COVID? That's a, I do. Yeah. Excuse me. I do. I think people want to escape. They don't want to, they they want an escape from the realities of life. And if a book can sort of take you to a fun place or, you know, thrillers, they'll, yeah. they'll always work because they still have that escapist element to them. Um, also in COVID, I think having something that you can put down and go back to when you're being dist- you know, distracted by having to make a grilled cheese. Exactly. For people <laughs> under the age of 20, multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, it's good to have something. Make your own um, damn grilled cheese. <laughs> on the lighter side. <laughs> we did a, um, I instituted uh, Heaney life skills courses for the kids. Um, it lasted for about 48 hours. Um, where I was like, we need to do Did it start with a grilled cheese? <laughs> sort of, it actually did. Grilled cheese was one, pancakes, laundry. I, laundry. A huge, there was a, there was some cooperation, but some some revolt. So I, there certainly are some. Yeah, they're some, ready. Uh, they're ready to make that grilled cheese. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I think we we talked about this a little bit, but I am curious. Do you feel like there's a demand that there's certain authors, even your authors, feel like they're? Do they feel like they are at all influenced to or interested in kind of writing books that they think? Um, would be good content. I mean, there's just these streaming, the streaming services, there's so many, they're starving for content. And, you know, being a big TV watcher who also is looking for the next succession. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the one thing I would just say to authors who do that, don't, don't just write to the market, because if you do that, the market may change. But I think if you're already kind of in there anyway, you can push on it a little bit a little bit more. Um, and it is nice to sell your book to film, even if it doesn't get made, to have an option. And yeah. I know that that's, you know, first of all, it's another stream of revenue. Um, but also, you never know. I mean, we've, I have things that have been optioned and optioned. And, you know, one day, you know, they're, you just don't know if it'll actually happen, but it could. Uh, and that's that's exciting. Right. And as you, that also sometimes just depends on timing, too, because yes. while the market might be ripe for it, when it was first optioned, maybe it's you know, those streaming services are constantly trying. You know, they're they all are. trying to find right. new content. Um, right. Well, reading was up. Um, I, I want to say like thirty percent during COVID. I mean, we had our like best year just in terms of sales, um, and now it's trickled down uh, because people aren't stuck at home. <laughs> I think it's gone down because people are finally out of their houses and doing other things. Um, but yeah, streaming is, it's overwhelming yeah. right now. I mean, there's just so much and I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I'm a little bit of a snob and that I have like HBO and Apple TV seem to be, have the best stuff. Yeah. But I've been known to watch a love is blind. I'm not <laughs> afraid to admit it. You've gone. Um, <laughs> I can go high low. You, you've explored all, yes. all over as I yes, have. Yes. We can talk offline about okay. some of our, our faves, our news okay. faves. But if you had what, what kind of recent discovery or have you, have you had a recent discovery of an author that you feel like is on their way to being the next Leon um, Moriarty or, or, that it isn't yes. that, that you've just discovered that you think oh somebody new that I've just new. discovered. Um, I mean, I have several authors who are you know on those you know next books and, or a new and, book that you think and you want to tell that, everybody that, they need that to I read. Think, um, yeah, well, I'm, I just signed this woman named Pia Chatterjee who pitched her book to me as Big Little Lies meets um, Such a Fun Age, um, and it's set in San Francisco. Uh, it's about a woman and 
her relationship with her babysitter who goes missing. Uh, and the, yeah, it's got, and it, it sort of, it's deals with race. It deals with class. It's got a thriller element, but I feel like it kind of checks the boxes of all the, that sort of, and she's a really good writer. I mean, yeah. she's a legitimately really good writer and storyteller. Um, she's somebody I just signed. I haven't even sold the book yet, but I have really high expectations for that. And then another author of mine who I've been working with for, over just over 10 years because I signed her right before oh almost 11 years my daughter Poppy was born she likes to remind me that I called her and I said I can either write you know read this really quickly or it's gonna have to wait three weeks until I have my baby (laughs) it's really on it um her name's Ariel Lawhon and she writes historical uh, suspense. Uh, she's written um, Codename Helene, was probably her best uh, known book. It's about a female, true story of a uh, woman in World War II spy. Uh, and it's really great. She also wrote I Was on a Stage uh, about the Romanovs. Really twisty. She always plays with time and structure. Um, and her book that's coming out in December is called The Frozen River. And again, she always takes a true person in history. Uh, She is writing about Martha Ballard, who was a midwife in Maine uh, in the 1860s. Uh, She was one of the only women in her town who knew how to write. Her husband taught her how to write, uh, and she kept a diary, which is now quite famous uh, in in its own right. Um, But she uh, also solved a murder. I mean, I, I don't know how she comes up with these stories, but she finds them and then just fictionalizes them in such a great way. How, so, yeah. how do, you know, it's so funny. I, I um, bumped into this friend of mine. Her name is Jennifer Donnelly. I don't know if you know her work, but um, I'm trying to think of what books you would know that she's written. But I just familiar. bumped into her on Saturday. She was in the city, and I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm in taking a quilting class at FIT. And I said, are you researching for a new book? And she said, yes. I mean, that's the... I don't level. know what she's yes. writing, what her story is, but, you know, it's so she, I don't know how your author found. Oh, she did about Ballard. a year of, a year of research um, because it's really important in historical fiction to get those uh, elements right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so she does, I, I think at some point, I think she would like, because she also does such a good job at plotting and suspense. I think at some point she'd love to write something that's not historical because I think it would it wouldn't be such a endeavor. So Jennifer Donnelly's books, Stepsister, The Tea Rose, A Northern Light is probably her most okay. popular mm-hmm. on the New York Times best seller list. Um, but I just happen to know her because she lives in my town. Oh, um, but anyway, that's it was just I was really fascinated yes, by absolutely. the level of um, of detail that she or level the lengths that she goes to to make sure she's getting it, getting it, right. getting it right. Um, Okay, so for those that are listening or maybe those that are in the room with you who have a fantasy of some point writing writing their their great American novel or their memoir, um, I mean, what what advice do you have for them, for us us folk or for those that are listening? Read as much as you can. Read what's out there right now and be diligent about, you know, putting your butt in the chair every day. <laughs> and if it's, you know, if you can carve out however much time just doing it. Uh, and I feel like it's so much of it is just having that, um, you know, just what is the word I'm looking for? Just being able to sit down and write every day uh, and just having that dedication to, to do that is half the battle because, you know, life can get in the way. You can say, oh, I'm too busy, this, that, and the other. But if you sit down every day even if you write crap that day, something will break out open in that, you know, whatever you've thrown up on the page and the next day something will come together. So I would say just have like a really good schedule of, um, of putting the words to paper. Um, but also, you know, read as much as you can. I do think I have a number of authors who had started with writing groups and I think they can be really beneficial because you're kind of held accountable. Um, It is a lonely business. And so if you can have a community of like-minded readers reading, you know, you know, championing your work, reading it, um, and I think holding you accountable to write that, you know, those 30 pages before next week or whatever, um, 
is really is really beneficial. Well, we know that's the struggle, right? Yes. Joan Wilder struggled with it. Paul Sheldon struggled with it. I mean, right. this is the we've right. seen this on. We yes. know that they have their editors are always <laughs> waiting for their their next waiting book. For it. Oh, I know. I'm they just have like no wanting inspiration. to pry it from their hands. I know. So not um, ready yet? <laughs> that's a, actually a friend of mine's husband who is in finance. He has been working on this book. Oh well, wow. historical fiction, kind of about Hyde Park and where we are, and you know, it's. Um, or in the time of Roosevelt, because anyway, and he, that's what he does. He just sets aside a time every day, every day that he writes, even if it's right, you know, not great, or he's not exactly. he's writing three sentences. He just yeah. is putting the time in, right? And it has to be you know five to six before the kids are up or the yeah. job starts. I mean, I have an author who wrote an entire novel during swim practice. She just sat in her car and wrote it. Stop it! Yeah, and she's like, "That was my time." Um, so you just, yeah. I, I mean, listen. I can't do it. I'm so yeah, yeah. blown away by those that can. And, um, you know, even if it's bad, just to sit down and have that, <laughs> that uh, you know, dedication to writing a book with a beginning, middle, and an end uh, is really, really impressive. Do a lot of your authors do sort of outlines or do they, is it stream It runs conscious? the gamut. Yeah. It totally runs the gamut. I have um, one author who always writes the end first. Uh, and once she knows what the ending is, starts at the beginning. Uh, I think most of them, have an outline, you know, some are much more dedicated to the outline, but some sense of it. And certainly working with me as a, like a first sounding board, um, you know, we can sort of talk through kind of the beats of the story. Um, you know, I always want to be involved if that's helpful. Um, and I would say most of them, yeah, they don't just sit down and sort of say, well, yeah. like, what does my muse going to tell me today? <laughs> um, they, well, it's interesting. You were talking about when you were in, when you were um, at Kenyan, and you would have those. Right. I don't know if you called them writing groups or what was the yeah is yeah. that what it was called? It was the, a writing it, group. Yeah. Yeah, and just having you know bouncing your ideas off of other people, and I think you do that with your partners too. It sounds like absolutely, and, absolutely. Um, and then getting with a group of other writers or writers starting out is also an interesting idea. Besides Elizabeth and I being um, great friends, um, we also are both married to two wonderful men, I think. And Elizabeth's husband, Matt, is truly one of the most wonderful, most hilarious people that I know. Um, In addition to having a wonderful husband, you have two wonderful children. How do you balance it all, balance the having the you know, incredibly full and successful career with being a wife I'll answer that, but then I want you to answer that. Uh, No, please. (laughs) I mean. I I think I've given up on trying to be perfect or any sort of, you know, sense of perfection as I I age. Um, One of my authors, Jessica Gross, writes the parenting uh, opinion piece at the New York Times, and she is just this voice of calm and all this parenting... Agita, and she says, "You know what? If you're doing it better, if you're doing it well, more than fifty percent of the time, <laughs> then you're doing okay." <laughs> and I really take that adage to heart. Um, and I'll just end on because I think this is a funny story. It's funny to me. My daughter, a couple of years ago, um, I was not doing anything well, and I showed up very late to one of her sports games. And she was a little grouchy and mad at me. And she said, all the moms are there and they brought cookies and donuts. And I I think she just saw my face because I had run from work. And I just and she's also a sweetheart and very empathic. And later that night she came in and she said, Mom, I'm sorry I said that about the other moms. She's like, they have rich husbands and they don't work. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I can be rich donut mom. (laughs) And so like it's become this family joke now where I show up when I can with three boxes of donuts and I'm like and they call, the kids call me rich donut mom so I was like I can buy my own damn donuts like and I was like you know that was like a funny thing where I kind of turned a oops into yeah a, and so I think you have to have a sense of humor about it oh 100 percent I mean I actually my response you know just if when I'm late I should just say is I'm hanging on by a thread I'm yeah. hanging on by a thread you've by got a thread. it you've got it you know you've got yes. to help me and out they here hear that because sometimes yeah. they're hanging on by a thread yeah. and I think the more real you can be with them the more you know you just, you know, they don't need to see you as perfect. They know you're not perfect. And so if you can share those moments with them, they get it. So in closing, um, because I know you have to go to lunch with 
Were you going to lunch with an editor, you said? I am going, going to lunch. To lunch uh, well, I messed up my weekends. I thought I was going to lunch with our new hire. We just hired a wonderful young agent uh, from William Morris. Um, but that's next week. This week, I'm going with um, a young a young editor. So different. I flip-flopped. What? To tell us in passing. So we've got summer's coming up. Any read, like reads that we have, you know, any summer read? Oh, that- yes. Let me think. Um, what are the big books that we have coming out? Um, well, I just, one of my authors uh, just published this great book. It got terrific reviews in the Times and the New York Times and the LA Book Review. It's called The Eden Test uh, by Adam Sternberg. He's a He's also a writer at the Times, uh, opinion editor at the Times, and uh, it's gotten really good uh, advance praise from Laura Dave and Ruman Alam, uh, Laura Lippman. Uh, that's a thriller. Uh, it's been compared to Gillian Flynn. Uh, it's got a very kind of Hitchcockian uh, vibe to it. Uh, so that's something I'm really excited about. Um, I have a really fun rom-com that came out last week called Love Buzz, uh, which is setting up really nicely. Uh, and then I have a great book um, coming out in, I have a lot of books coming out this summer, so I want, I, I want to mention them all, but I don't think I have time. But I have a yeah. great book called uh, Summer of Songbirds that's coming out in July by a woman named Christy Harvey Woodson, who's Southern, she's sort of like a Southern Ellen Hildebrand. Uh, <laughs> and it's, she's great. She's great. Uh, and I'm actually getting a few of these authors on their tours to come up to Bedford and do events Oh, that's great. there, which is great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so happy to see you. I really, so ha- you know, Thank you for appreciate me. you yes. so much taking the time um, of course. out of your very, very busy schedule to be with us here today. And um, uh, Elizabeth has her bracelets on the table, which yes. she's going to put back on. No more clanging. Um, but thank you so thank much. Thank you, Leslie. Um, really fun. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. A huge thanks again to Elizabeth Weed for joining us. I hope you learned something and had some fun along the way. And as always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at The Interview with Leslie Heaney. A new podcast is released every Wednesday. And until then, this is Leslie, and don't forget to join The Interview.